Amen. God is good. You say all the time. All the time. Keep that in mind as we share this morning. God is good. I'm so grateful for who he is in my life. I'm grateful for who he is in your life. I see him at work in so many ways. And just so thankful, church, that you lean into the presence of the Lord, that you lean in and you're hungry. I see that hunger. I'm just so thankful to be a part of what he's doing in this time. Well, this morning I want to share with you uh, something that the Lord has put on my heart, and it's the heart of God for repentant people. I know we've been on the theme a little bit lately and a lot. We've been talking about repentance, and I hope that you never get tired of hearing it. Because repentance is something that God is after. And it's, sometimes we think, well, I already did that. <laughs> no, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifelong journey that we're constantly leaning into. And um, I want to share a quick little story with you that I read recently. It says, a man was praying with his pastor at the altar. He prayed a prayer the pastor had heard many times before. Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. And just as he said this, the pastor interrupted and said, Kill the spider, Lord. I'll give you a minute. Many times we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin, but we leave the source of temptation in our life. I personally detest spiders. So I do something at my house. I put uh, mothballs sporadically so they don't smell my house, but in the crawl spaces and around the outside of my house to hopefully keep the majority of them out because <laughs> I hate them with a vengeance. They freak me out still. Every once in a while I can kill them, but if, especially if they're over my head, no thank you. But sometimes we feel over our head and we feel like there's so much going on and we just want to get rid of the kabas, but if we don't go to the source of what's happening, it's not going to change. And God is after the sources, not just the the effects of it, not just the little things. He's after the source. So I hope that you will open your hearts this morning as we dive into his word and listen for his heart and his heart for his people to be a repentant people. I want to begin by talking about our reluctance. I don't know if you've ever been reluctant to approach something or to do something. Anybody here ever had that? And I'm not talking about a hesitation. <laughs> Let's, let's talk about what reluctance means. First of all, I want to go to the book of Jonah. Very familiar passage. But I know that God is after the very practical, some things that are familiar to us and wants to breathe life into it. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You would think maybe it might have been kind of cool for a prophet to go, Ooh, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to take this job. You want me to go cry out against this city? I know some of us will sit here and we'll listen to messages and we'll hear God call out things that we need to maybe get rid of or something kind of strikes our heart, but we go, Ooh, that person over there, this message is for them. Anyone ever done that? You're lying if you haven't done that. <laughs> Because we know what's going on in people's lives, or we see it, or our friend over there really needs to hear this, and sometimes that is true. But we need to turn this word inside and go, Lord, what's here? The call here for Jonah was to call a people to repentance. 
Maybe he had some fear in his own life, or maybe he thought, you know, why, God, should they escape judgment? They're an evil people. Why would you call them to repentance? In Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, this describes Nineveh at the time. It says, Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. The prey departs not. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing of horses and of the jumping chariots. The horsemen lifted up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses and there is none of none end of their corpses and they stumble upon their corpses. Can you imagine that? There, there's a lot in this chapter. I'm only reading a portion of what they describe in Nineveh. Because of the multitude of their whoredoms and of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that sell nations through their whoredoms and families through her witchcraft. Families. Have we been praying about that a lot lately? Families and how they're affected by the sin. But you know what? Jonah wasn't, isn't the only one with a commission to preach and to share and to say, God is coming. Will you repent? We have that commission also. In Matthew 24, verses 47, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary, for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. So why don't we go to the world and preach repentance? What is the reluctance in us to do so? Remember I said at the beginning that reluctance, sometimes we think of it as I'm just hesitating, I'm fearful, I'm not. No, reluctance actually means unwilling. Reluctance means unwilling. What are you unwilling and what are we unwilling to let him see, to touch, to uproot, to heal, to change, to transform, to renew, to restore? See, Jonah in this time, it said he ran away. (laughs) He's like, I'm going the other direction. He had a little bit of a bitter heart. I appreciate one of our ladies came up this morning just as we were any worship and said she came in with a bitter, bitter heart and God, res- God just took it out of her and took it away this morning. And I'm like, oh, I wish you could just hear this part real quick. This, this was in my notes before she came and did that. Thank you, Jesus. He wants to uproot. He's already doing it. A.W. Tozer says this, anyone who might feel reluctant to surrender his will to the will of another should remember Jesus's words. Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Let me read that part again. Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. We must of necessity be servant to someone, either to God or to sin. The sinner prides himself on his independence, completely overlooking the fact that he is the weak slave of sins that rule in his members. The man who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. Have you ever felt under the weight of the the push of the Lord? But you know what? We're kind of stupid. Can I use that word in church? In our reluctance and our unwillingness, we get kind of stupid. 
So we start running. So the next part of this is our running. We're going to run. What do we do when, when somebody goes after us? We run. Now, when I was a kid, I, I did some stupid things here and there. Like, hope, my, most, not hopefully, but most of you have, I'm sure. This one I wouldn't necessarily call stupid, but um, it's just a picture for you. My mom had told me, I'd asked her, can I have a snack before dinner? She said no. And I was just asking her for a banana. I loved bananas. I was crazy about bananas. And uh, she came into the other room. We called it the green room because it had this green shag carpet, really pretty. <laughs> way, back in the day, way back in the day when shag carpet was a thing. Um, I was in the corner, and I was, I was hiding, and she's like, Carolyn, what are you doing? I said, nothing. I was not very bright, apparently, <laughs> standing in a corner hiding, and she's like, what are you doing, nothing? I just like to stand in a corner. She's like, no, what are you doing? And she comes over, and I've got a peeled banana, bites taken out of it, and she's like, didn't I tell you not to eat before dinner? And I was like, yes, but she found it funny. She tells me the story all the time. I'm sure she's watching mom. You remember this? You'll be proud of me. I'm repeating your stories. Uh, and I was eating. I, we hide. So even, even if it seems good, sometimes we hide. And we run away from what the Lord is asking us to do. Now, that might seem a simple little thing, but the Bible says that the little foxes spoil the vine. My little disobedience can spoil the obedience towards my mother, what God is asking me to do. What are the little things that we're running from? Maybe it's a big thing you're running from. But we run from things like love and joy and healing. We run from the Holy Spirit. When I was a teenager, I told this to our youth group recently. And I've told this in here several times, but oh well, you get to hear my stories again. When I was a teenager, the Lord was after my heart. Just like he was after Jonah. Jonah, will you just obey? I have a people that need repentance. Carolyn, I'm after your heart. I want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's something I questioned from the time I was around nine years old. I questioned, is it really me? Is, this real, is it really you? I must be making up these words. I did all those kind of conversations in my head. But when I was a teenager, I remember my mom asking me about it. I'm like, I'm not praying in the Holy Spirit. My twin sister had gotten saved, and she was pressing me a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'm tired of the pressing. So what I do? My unwillingness to yield to the Lord, I decided to run away. I didn't physically run from my parents' house, but I did run to my dad's house. My parents were separated at the time. And I said, forget it. I'm going to go visit dad for the weekend. Y'all need to stop getting on my back, leave me alone. And my mom said, Carolyn, you promised me when you go visit your dad, you go to church. Now, my dad wasn't a Christian at the time, so I was like, fine, I'll go to my old church. I'll go, fine, mom, I promise. I'm a, I keep my word. So I went a couple hours away to visit my dad, went to my old church that really, rarely ever talked about the Holy Spirit. They, they believed in the Holy Spirit, but it was just something I didn't really hear growing up. And had a balcony section, and I went and sat up in the balcony section. I'm like, I'm going to hide from all my friends. I don't want to see anybody. I'm running. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I don't want this. And then there was a guest speaker that morning, and guess what the entire service was on? The Holy Spirit. The entire message was on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At 16 years of age, I stood up at the, at the end, and I said, Jesus, if you would do, chase me down this far and chase me down this hard, I surrender. I never questioned it again. See, God is chasing after us and running after. He wants us so badly to turn to him. Where do you run? 
When Jonah was running and he got into a ship, he actually told the people, I'm running from God. I'm running from God. I did this with friends once and I, the Lord was talking to me not going to a certain event and I was, he's like, I told him, I said, well, God told me I can't come anymore, but then I show up the next week and they're like, I thought God told you. See, we're, you're human. I love the human aspect of us, but still God is stirring things in us. He doesn't want to let you go. He wants you to come into his will. And why would we run from such goodness? Why would we run from, hey, God wants you to speak to other people about repentance. You're like, but I'm nothing. Yes, that's good. So that he can be everything. Where are you running? When Joseph ran, he got into this ship. Jonah, what did I say, Joseph? Jonah, thank you. My mind is going so fast. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Jonah. I'm not going to say the, it is the book of Jonah. All right. Jonah fell asleep in the ship. Sometimes when we're running, we just want to fall asleep. This is what depression does. I don't know about you. Maybe you like depression. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you like to, I just want to sleep through this. Can this just be over? We're talking about what the word of prophecy came this morning about suicide. There's depression that sets in. We don't want to. We're running away from something. We just want it to go away. Aren't you exhausted? Exhausted from running from that? Maybe you're asleep in the boat like Jonah was. Maybe the chaos of this world is just too much for you to handle. And you're saying, God, just wake me up when it's over. Wake me up when it's over. Maybe you're hiding out or you're hiding your sin. Maybe you're avoiding the work of the ministry. Are you bitter about something? Does God need to take some bitterness out of you so that you can go and do what he's asking you to do? Are you happier in your bitterness than happier with God's purpose in your life? I don't think so. One author said this, the sleepy Christians don't even like prayer meetings. I'm just going to say that. I, those are my words. You can blame this, this other author. We could go into the story of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. You know that story? There were some that were ready and some that were not. Some that fell asleep and they didn't have enough oil. I don't want to be that Christian. Sleepy Christians are in trouble and don't always know it. But I'm here to wake you up. Sleepy Christians hit snooze on sharing the gospel with other people. It's time to stop hitting snooze. Those of you who like to sleep in, I'm sorry. I don't hit snooze. I wake up before my alarm. I'm one of those cursed people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't hit snooze because God is coming soon. And what are we supposed to do? We need to set aside our reluctance and our willingness. Stop running away. When God has such good things for us, such goodness, such life, but yet we're always saying, I don't want that right now. What do you do when God starts to press your heart about something that you're dealing with, something that you're going through? Do you run to him and say, oh, Jesus, take this out. I don't want it. So many times I could tell you story after story of my own life where God would give me a dream of the mercy seat. I watched myself walking towards him, and I, I used to think that I could have reasons and excuses. Well, Lord, this is, this is what I did. This is why I did it. 
But in a dream that he gave me one time, he says, I started walking towards the judgment. I could see him just pointing very gently. He'd point one way and another. I could see friends and family members going one way and the other. And as I walk closer, I kind of do that. You know, when you don't want to get picked, you want to back up. Let me go to the back of the line. I'm not ready yet. I could feel myself doing that. And as I approached, I knew that I couldn't say anything, but then I woke up and I said, oh, dear Lord Jesus, I don't want you to point the other direction for my life. See, it was the love of God compelling me. I know often that we think of discipline as a hard thing. God disciplines those that he loves because he wants something better for your life. He wants you out of the depression, out of the the sin and the muck and the mire, and he wants to put your feet upon a rock. He wants to display his glory through you to the world. In Jonah 1, the sailors had discovered that Jonah was the source of their trouble. See, when you run from God, it doesn't just affect your life. It affects others around you. Life-threatening in this manner. You may not see that your life has that much effect on other people. But if you're the one that God has chosen to speak life to somebody else and bring them up and out of their sin to God and put them in the hands of God, then you're causing death. Will you look at it that way? Let's look at people that way. I want my life to be effective for his glory and his kingdom. It's a wonder that the world has to call us out. (laughs) Aren't you supposed to be a Christian? You ever heard that phrase before? I thought that you were a Christian. Huh? Anybody ever heard that in here? Someone say that to them? There shouldn't be an excuse to be like, oh, yep, you're right. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have cut you off on the freeway. I shouldn't have yelled at you. Why are we resisting God so much? Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10 says, Whither shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. This was a scripture so dear to my heart because when that moment when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm like, dear Lord, I can't run from you. You you must really love me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not letting me just continuously run away. And even when I run away, you come chase me down. Thank you, Jesus. You're pursuing after me. So let's lay down our unwillingness and our reluctance. Stop running. And let's repent. So let's talk about our repentance. Repentance is not just a sorrow from sin. If you look at the life of Esau... The Bible says he sought after repentance with tears, but could not receive it. He despised the inheritance. He despised the chastening of the Lord. He shed tears of his penalty for sin. You ever shed tears or your kids shed tears because they got caught? Young people. Just kidding. I love these young people. They're amazing. Aren't they amazing? 
They're so amazing. He despised, Esau despised it, but he sought with tears because he was basically his penalty for sin. It was not repentance. Remorse is not repentance. So be careful that you're not just serving God for his benefits. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of action. It's not just to avoid the sin or the appearance of. It's to go and do something different in a different way. Jonah had asked while he was in the belly of the fish. Some say that he repented, and I kind of feel a little bit differently. I feel like he, he had a change of mind resulting in his actions. Well, sorry, I say this a different way. He asked for deliverance. Deliver me from where I am. I'm in the belly of this fish. I'm about to deliver me, Lord. He prayed out of his affliction and ended his prayer with, I will pay what I have vowed. That's important. But at the end of the story, was he really repentant or was he still bitter? See, God will use us. We can walk in the purpose of God and we can carry things, but he's always calling us to do something different. What is the fruit? There's actually fruit of repentance. Did you know that? Fruit of repentance. We know our tree by its fruit. You guys have heard those words. Luke 3, verse, chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. <laughs> Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. What do we say at the beginning? Kill the spiders. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? So I need, we need to repent, and there needs to be a fruit of repentance, but they're like, okay, so we got to do something different. Do you see that here? So if you're walking one way, you got to walk something different. If you're doing something over here that is in sin, you're going to do something different. You can't continue in this pattern over here and this lifestyle and this way of thinking. You have to do something different. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them. I love God answers us. So you can ask him, God, what do I need to do to not walk that way anymore? Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food to do likewise. A tax collector also came and to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers came and asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, but be content with your wages. Acts 26 verse 20 says, But declare... First, to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. There's a keeping up and action on our part. See, sometimes we come to an altar and say, Jesus, just take it from me. And we go out and go, well, he didn't take it from me. Um, There's something that you have to do. There's something on our part that we participate in and we get to walk it out. God may lift something off of your life. Thank God for those miracles and the power of deliverance. But there's something that you have to do is go and do no more. 
Do something different. Change your actions. Change your behaviors. The fruit of repentance. Let's go to Revelation real quickly. Thank you for staying with me this morning. I know it was a lot of scripture today. But we're going to talk about the churches. In 1 Peter 4, verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly or the sinners? See, God's heart is for you and for the sinners. That's what his heart was. Jonah, go and preach. Go cry out against this city. Their sin is great, but he also comes after the church. Now remember, judgment begins. Don't think of judgment as too hard of a thing, especially when you receive it. You said, yes, God, come and judge my life. I want the refiner's fire and the fuller soap to wash out anything that does not please him. Get it out of the way. If you look in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to go through a few of the churches here. You ready to go with me? You listening? You paying attention? Got this, yes. Okay. First church was Ephesus. And I'm not going to say church, I'm going to say Christian. I'm going to address you this morning. Christian. Ephesus Christian. I know your labor and your patience. You don't bear evil and you've tested and found false, prof- false apostles. And you are not weary. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> pat yourself on You pat yourself on the back? All right, good job. Then he says, yet you have left your first love. Not lost your first love. You've left your first love. You've learned to walk like and talk like a Christian. Doing good, speaking well. But inside you've left your love for God. His voice no longer compels you or convinces you to come closer to him or to change your actions. Woe to you. Question you'll hear often amongst our ministry teams is what relationship, what is your relationship with Jesus really like? We are going to ask that a lot. If you're ministering in this house, what is your relationship with Jesus really like? Do you really love him? You might have a lot of things all together, but do you really love him? And what does that look like? You know, you know those people that are really in love? I was single for a long time, till I was 27, 28, till I met Pastor Jonathan. And it was really hard. I had, I had all those conversations with people. This is a bunny trailer for you all this morning. I was one of those that everybody said, oh, well, you're a gem. Why? I don't understand why you're not married yet. I'm like, yeah, I, I, don't, yeah. I guess I am a gem. I don't know why people don't like me. <laughs> I, I heard so many things, or you need to, you'll fall into love, you'll grow into love, all these things. So I tried, and I tried, and I tried. But when somebody's really in love, it's kind of, sometimes you're like, oh, that's sickening. You ever do that to people? Especially when people are older. I used to look at, like, my parents didn't often kiss or hug, and when they did, I was like, oh, my gosh. We love to freak our children out when we hug and kiss in front of them. They're like, parents, ah. Okay. We shouldn't be like that with our relationship with Jesus. Let's, let's show people how much we love him. Let's be so in love. We're falling over. Oh, my gosh, I can't stop talking about him. People are like, I'm sick of you talking about Jesus. I want to be that kind of person. Okay, that was, okay, that was not in my notes. 
And author Robertson writes of repentance, it's not a command, it is not a command to feel sorry or real, oh, I can't speak sorry, or really to feel anything. It means to change your direction, to go a different way. It is an urgent appeal for instant change in attitude and conduct before it's too late. See, that's what God was after in Nineveh. He's like, I'm, I'm coming. And in about 40 days, here's, here, here was, here's going to go. I'm going to destroy your city. There's a time stamp. You don't know the time stamp on your life, do you? So what are you going to do with your, with your life? So he's saying to the church of Ephesus, return to your first love. Remember how you used to spend time in his word. Remember how you used to pray. Remember the joy of getting together with other Christians. Remember how excited you were about telling others about, telling others about Jesus. Remember these things. Return to these first works. We might say that Satan does a masterful job of creating a sense of general dissatisfaction with the first works. Christians will run after almost every other new and strange method or program to grow or to have stability. Our shortened attention spans make us easily bored with the truest of excitements. Some of you might be even bored here this morning. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. But sometimes we will do almost anything except go back to the first works. When you say, go back to the first love. Love me again. Love me the way you used to. Or if you haven't experienced that, say, God, I want to love you in that way. And then he promised them, again, God is not just after the, those little things to say, oh, I'm gonna, I just want you to get rid of this. He wants you to do something else. He said, if you will overcome, if you repent, I will give you to eat of the tree of life. See, there's something in exchange. There's an exchange for every one of these churches. He wants to exchange something. I want to take this out of you. Come back to me, and I want to give you the tree of life. But again, we're stupid. We run away. We're reluctant and unwilling. I don't know the tree of life. Um, I don't know. Duh. I mean, everybody probably needs to just put their hand to their head like this this morning. Next here is Pergamos. Christian, I know your works. You hold fast to my name, and you do not deny the faith. But there are some among you who hold to the doctrine of Balaam and cause others to stumble and to follow the same, eating things sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. I feel like we have to call this out continuously because this is a thing. Sexual immorality, especially when I say that word, somebody's like, you're like, Oh, electric shock there. It shouldn't shock us. These are behaviors, but God says, get it out. There are some among you with this sin. Get it out. To hold to pure sexual standards, pure sexual standards, was considered strange in this time. In the book of Revelation, it was considered strange. Do you not see that? What is, that's what's happening? How the church has become so tolerant of immorality. God will not overlook it. But again, he calls you, says, I see this in your life. Do you feel the conviction? Conviction will lead you to change. Conviction is positive. Will you overcome this, he says. Repent or I will come quickly and fight against you with my words. That's what God says. And he says, if you will overcome 
I will write a name for you on a white stone that only you will know. And I'm going to hand it to you. How many of you want a new name? Name me something different, Lord. Teach me to walk. I want a new name. I have a reputation. I don't want that anymore. Write a new name on a stone and hand it to me. There's an exchange. And Thyatira says, Christian, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. But you allow or you make room for Jezebel to teach and to seduce you. She offers things to idols. But it says in that passage that he even gave Jezebel a chance to repent. Do you remember that portion? We always think, oh, Jezebel, the Jezebel spirit. Oh, she's a... No, that's the root. Sexual immaturity, there's a root there. A spirit of Jezebel. But even God gave her a chance to repent. What have you allowed? I know in, in kids' ministry... For many years, we often, I often did fun examples and live examples. I didn't actually do this one. I was afraid somebody would actually eat it. But if I brought a cake mix in here and I, I mixed it all up and then take a little bit of poop and I took just a little, little, tiny, minuscule drop of poop in there and I baked it, most of you would be like, I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. But what do we do? We allow sin to come in just a little bit. Oh, it's not going to make a difference. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. But where is the open door that you have allowed that immorality and the sin to come in and fester? Because I guarantee it's going to affect no one's going to want a taste of your cake. But God wants us to be the vessels of his goodness, of the spirit of repentance. But we have to lead by example. That's why it comes to the church first. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. To the church of Sardis, you're a Christian. I know your works. And people say you are a church that is alive. How many want to go to church that's alive? Yeah. He says, but you're dead. <laughs> your work is not perfect. Remember what you have in the midst of you. Some of you have defiled themselves. See, Sardis was known for a place of money and luxury. Softness can lead to a lack of discipline and dedication. Maybe they had meetings every night. I don't know what it's like. Maybe the public promotions and they had cool sermons. They had a reputation for being alive. But despite the appearance, they didn't have character. That's the deadness. Where, there, where character is lacking, there is no threat to Satan's kingdom. Complacency is, and ease are what feeds the demonic. Can I say that one more time? Where character is lacking, there is no threat to Satan's kingdom. Complacency and ease is what feeds the demonic. Where do we allow? I love you, church. I'm, just, I'm, I'm here to just bring you this message to say, Lord, turn, turn it. You, we all ask for revival, right? That's what we're going to get into here in a minute. We're asking for this, but it starts with getting rid of your unwillingness. It starts with you stop running from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it, it begins with you on your knees saying, I repent. I repent. See, spiritual things were still in them. But don't ignore the disciplines in his word. He said to this church, if you overcome, you will be clothed in white and I will confess you before my Father. See, if you do deny Him, 
he's going to deny you. We have to get back to the basics of the word. Lord, let me cry out. I don't want you to deny me before your father, Jesus. Don't deny me. Tell me, tell me I'm going to the kingdom. I'm going that way. That's where my eyes are focused. So here on earth, why would I not want to please the one who made me? In Laodicea, he said, Christian, you are lukewarm. You say I'm rich and I have need of nothing. You are blind to see that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, you are indifferent and full of compromise. You are full of religious self-reliance. Spurgeon wrote this, such prayers mock God. Oh, my brethren and sisters, have you ever really thought what an insult it is to God when we come before him with lukewarm prayers? There stands the heavenly mercy seat, the road to it is sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus, yet we come to it with hearts that are cold. We approach it leaving our hearts behind us. We kneel in an attitude of prayer, yet we do not pray. We prattle out certain words and express thoughts which are not our real desires. We feign wants that we do not feel. Do we not thus degrade the mercy seat? We make it, as it were, a common lounging place rather than an awful wrestling place. Once be sprinkled with blood and often to be be sprinkled with a sweat of fervent supplication. Jesus says, buy of me. It's got to cost you something. What are you going to spend? Buy of me speaks of costing us something. What are you going to go out and buy? What are you going to spend your time and your effort in? It's going to cost you something to get on your knees, to get back into the word of God. It's going to come with the power of the Holy Spirit. Come down upon you so you can have breakthrough. Buy of me gold, white garments, eye salve so you can see. Do you need a change of clothes? Do you need a change of sight this morning? As many as I love, again, church, he says he chastens. It says, be zealous and repent. Don't just say, I'm sorry. Don't just come up and respond to him and just say, I'm sorry, Lord, and walk out and then come back in here with the same stuff again. Walk a different way. Do something different. Let him change you. If it really is repentance, you're not going to go back to that thing. See, a dog returns to a vomit. We learn this very, I mean, I know this, but when you actually have a new puppy and they throw up on your kid's bed in the middle of the night and all of a sudden there's no pile there anymore, it's disgusting. Can we not look at sin this way when he's calling the churches? Get rid of this. Repent. Repent of your sorceries. Repent of your idols. Repent of bowing down to your whoredoms and sexual immorality. Repent, church. I have something better for you. Jonah went to Nineveh, and the response of the people was so incredible. He says, I'm walking through the city. Can you imagine walking for three days? You're saying, God's bringing judgment in 40 days. What if he did that to you this morning? Say, hey, Teresa, you got 40 days left. What are you going to do with your time? You only have 40 days left to live. What are you going to do with your time, church? We don't live that way. We say, I have time. I have plenty of time. But when Jonah began to walk through the city and cry out, the people began to respond and to believe God. What a powerful message. He cried out. I know if somebody is, is on the floor having a heart attack, you don't just tap them. Are you okay? 
You begin to cry, can you hear me? Are you awake, are you okay? You're, we're taught in CPR classes, you tap them and yell, are you okay, are you all right? Church, are you okay, are you all right? The, the children, the people of Nineveh, it says they put on sackcloth and ashes and then the king heard about the cry of Jonah and it says they began to believe God, they began to repent, he says, I don't want anybody to eat or drink even water, even your, your animals. It was so important that they, they knew God. They understood who he was. And they said, I'm going to respond to this. Oh God, if you will repent of the evil you will do in 40 days, this is what we're going to do. We're going to change. Remember the verse I read earlier in Nahum. We're going to change. We're not going to have carcasses lying in the street. We're not going to have this anymore. We declare it even over this area. What will you declare over your city, church? What do you want to see God do? Cry out to him. Cry out before the people. Turn, turn, turn. Oh, that we would turn and repent of our ways, our infidelities, our immoralities, our self-sufficiencies, our lukewarmness, our fears, our victim mentalities. And we would be zealous and repent. Will you stand with me this morning, church? It begins here and it begins now. This is our part in revival. See, God doesn't come to revive things that are living. He comes to revive things that are dead. Is there something dead and lying in your life that's causing death in you? Our immoralities, our following after the things of this world is causing death in you. And he says, I want to revive that. He's the resurrection and the life, and that's how he revives us. You want revival, church? It's time to repent. Let's show the world how it's done. Let's show them how we can come before the Lord and be honest and say, here, Jesus, take it from me. I don't want to walk in this miserable life anymore. I'm running, and I'm so tired of running. I run away from this, and I run away from your voice speaking to me. I don't want to run anymore. Put on your sackcloth. Get before the Lord in fasting and in humility. Believe God and repent. We're not here to coddle you or pat you on the back necessarily. I want to say it's going to be okay. But it's going to be okay if you turn to him. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. That the times of refreshing. Ooh, doesn't that sound good? Times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Last year in October, the Lord took me to a study of John the Baptist. And Isaiah chapter 40 talks about John the Baptist and what he was to do. He was another messenger to speak repentance, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We want to see his coming, don't you? I'm ready. This world is getting pretty chaotic. I want to see his coming. John the Baptist was one who was the forerunner for Christ. The one crying in the wilderness to declare all obstructions be removed to prepare a people through repentance and faith in God. 
Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5 says this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be exalted. Every mountain and every hill brought low and every crooked place made straight and the rough places made smooth and the glory of God will be revealed. See, he wants, his glory is revealed in revival. Are you hungry for that revival? We gotta start back at the beginning. Let him address your unwillingness. Let him address your running. Let him address your repentance. When he says every valley will be made high, maybe there's places of depression, places you just feel low, loss of hope. He wants to make those places high. Every mountain made high. Every valley made high. He wants to take the mountains, maybe a place where you're standing proud in your own merits, holding fast to your own knowledge and your own understanding. He's like, bring it low. God, I don't want to stand in my own knowledge and understanding. I want to stand in yours. I want to understand what your heart is. Rain down your presence, Lord. Let's lift our hands.